Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Weekly Dispatch. It's Sean here in New York as always, and we're going to be covering the week of the 22nd through the 29th of September, which was hot AF this week if you live on the East Coast. So thanks, global warming, a topic we'll hit shortly. This week, we're going to hit all the important topics in the news cycle and looking for all the upcoming events important to your week. We have a lot to talk about this week, primarily with the impeachment inquiry into Trump's interaction with the Ukrainian president back in July over that phone call, back when hot girl summer seemed to just wash all of our problems away. Uh, We want to start the podcast this week by wishing everyone out there that celebrates the Jewish New Year a happy Rosh Hashanah. And in the spirit of the new year and the new open season that's coming, so sign up and compete with your friends and other members of the Kronosfit community. Arise! Arise, athletes of Cronus Fit. Prizes will be sent. Spears shall be shaken. Shields shall be splintered. A sword day, a red day, and the sun rises. There's your Lord of the Rings for this week. Also, happy birthday, Mom. Our podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Use the code Cronus15 to get great deals on their products. Paragon Recovery keeps you in the fight through activating your recovery and sleep cycles. And check them out and contact them for even more savings if you're a member of the military community or one of the many law enforcement agencies. Today's podcast will focus first and foremost on the impeachment inquiry, just to start off of our segment right, because obviously. Uh, Then we're going to hit up some international topics focusing on Afghanistan, Syria, and then we're going to close out with some of the UN General Assembly news. We're going to talk about Instagram and a recent report from the Wall Street Journal about influencers. Hashtag could be you. So without further ado, let's go. All right, our first topic this week will be Trump and the impeachment inquiry. Basic background is the House Intelligence Committee this past Thursday just made a complaint public based off of the reports from a whistleblower. All that is known right now about the whistleblower is he is a CIA officer, might have some legal background given the language used in his complaint, but he's also anonymous. And sources have called both his behavior and the behavior of the others that gave him the information potentially spy-like or spies effort and that's something we'll cover a little bit later but what does the complaint say in general there was a phone call on the 25th of july between president trump and the newly elected president of ukraine which solicited the power of the president's office to potentially influence the 2020 election by withholding aid to that country uh, the previous month and not making it available until potentially something was done um, from the request of the president So that leads us to Trump essentially using his status as the president to influence an investigation into a political rival through a phone call with President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine into the actions of the former Vice President Joe Biden, the Democratic frontrunner right now, ahead of the 2020 election. And this is going into his son's interaction in Ukraine with a gas company. So... That's generally the gist of the whole complaint. The whistleblower saw this as politically motivating, 
for President Trump and his 2020 campaign. Obviously, there is some pushback from the Republicans as well as the administration as to what this says. The language that he uses specifically in his whistleblower complaint is, in the course of my official duties, I have received information from multiple US government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 election. So that is his basic idea of what President Trump did. Obviously, he doesn't have firsthand knowledge, which is a major concern for the Democrats as they're pushing ahead, because how can you validate the sources at that point? But if you can create a good fact pattern, then potentially there is more to the inquiry, which is why they're pushing for the investigation. They're also saying that there was a repeated abuse of an electronic record keeping system, which was used to hide information of political nature by classifying this phone call in the same category as events like kinetic strikes and other secretive and covert actions. That typical system is used to store transcripts, which would previously be allowed for distribution to cabinet level officials. And the complaint clarified that, quote, this set of actions underscored to me that the White House officials understood the gravity of what had transpired in the call, end quote. Essentially, what this whistleblower is saying is if they knew that this phone call had some sort of damning information, that could be the only reason why a phone call, which would usually be disseminated through cabinet level officials on more of an open source within the White House, would be used, but instead they use this secretive system, which we'll talk about later too with the Mueller investigation as now we're getting more blowback. The whistleblower articulates in his complaint the obligation of those reviewing his complaint to also legally here to provide rationale if elements were to be redacted or had to have their classifications amplified because he was anticipating potential blowback by the administration to cover up maybe some of his findings. That also leads to the president and the administration of believing that maybe this individual had help from a law firm or members of Congress over a month ago, and this is where that deep state comes in to say, hey, we have this information or I wanna make information that seems legally binding the president to some sort of action that he took based on third-hand knowledge. So that's where that deep state conspiracy is coming in if you're hearing that on the news. But back to the phone call. Uh, that phone call was listened to by a dozen White House policy officials and lawyers who listen to the call normally. Uh, this mixture of policy and duty officers sit in the situation room, which is normal. And typically in the past, they've said, hey, if participation is going to be restricted in advance, we'll notify you. But in this case, it was more of a routine call. Days following that phone call, senior White House officials intervened to lock down all records of that call, and again, guys, this is all based off of this reports, and the records were locked down, especially the word-for-word -word transcript, uh, which would typically be customarily kept, but now it's being put into this very secretive lockbox. White House officials that were directed by the lawyers to remove the electronic transcript for coordination and distribution uh, were also told to get rid of all their evidence of this call. And instead, those transcripts were loaded into that separate system, which goes back to what the whistleblower said was an abuse of the electronic system because it did not contain anything remotely sensitive of national security. So that's kind of the gist of what the call is and what the complaint from the whistleblower is highlighting. Now, fast forward a couple months to this week, 
the director of the National Intelligence Agency was in the House, uh, in the House Intelligence Committee, where he was grilled by multiple members of that committee. Uh, his name is Joseph McGuire. He is essentially brand new to the position and had no idea of what was going on. The issue that he was dealing with was a sense of urgency. He knew he had a whistleblower complaint, and in the past there is a protocol for how you take a whistleblower complaint from his department and you send it to the House and the Senate for their review. However, it's not his job, as he articulated in the House Intel Committee, to say that, you know, what was credible of that complaint, because the statute requires it just be provided to Congress. He's essentially just taking this report or this complaint and passing it off, making sure that there is some oversight. And then in that, the Inspector General made sound recommendations that the allegation was credible and why he pushed it forward. The other issue was, did this complaint assert any sort of executive privilege? Was working through the procedures of the review within the uh, intelligence agency and then also Congress violating some of President Trump's rights with executive privilege? So the first place that he went was actually to the White House, and that was not for a second opinion. That was for a question, is the information contained here subject to executive privilege? Because if it is, then he's not authorized to provide that uh, privilege to Congress first. That has to be gone through the Office of Legal Counsel uh, and probably the Justice Department. So his sense of urgency was determining whether or not this involved executive privilege and whether it should be released in the first place. So the first things that he did, he consulted with the Department of Justice and Legal Counsel. In the Office of Legal Counsel, it was, was this a matter uh, in the letter or complaint that meets the executive privilege standard? If it appears it might be, um, but it wasn't cleared, then they would have to go through the selective authorities to release that. Uh, he then worked with the Office of Legal Counsel for weeks to determine whether the release method would be violating any other laws. So before he took this job, too, he had no knowledge of this report from his predecessor. And jokingly, he told Congress he would never have taken the job if he had known about the issue, which if you can just imagine, this is the highlight of your career. You've worked your entire professional career to get to this point. And because of this, he would say, I would never want this job. He told the House Intelligence Committee, quote, my job is to support and lead the entire intelligence community. That individual worked for me. It is my job. I support and defend that individual. I believe the whistleblower did the right thing. So this is establishing that I am the leader of this organization, and I need to support the right things and the channels that individuals have. This is much like kind of the open door policy uh, for you out there with commanders that kind of support that but also saying no matter what the political affiliations of those involved or the motives of those involved, I'm gonna make sure that we follow through with what is customary and what is done in establishing a standard. Furthermore, communications that he has with the president are completely privileged. Uh, the privilege is one of the reasons why the complaint took so long, as we said, to get to the committee. In typical order, complaints are taken from the intelligence agency to the House and Senate, and because this one involved the president, which most, including Mr. McGuire, did not believe was the original intent or the subject matter behind this rule being established, uh, it is then required to be reviewed by the White House Counsel and the Justice Department. And coincidentally, the complaint does allege that A.G. Barr might have had some knowledge into this July conversation. And uh, Mr. Schiff actually asked him, was it appropriate to go to a department run by the person, and quote, kind of potentially the subject complaint 
a conflict of interest concerning the uh, whistleblower allegation. So what's going on there? And then you have two senior members. You have Mr. Schiff on the Democrats, and he's saying whether, as the statute requires, this complaint involved any serious wrongdoing was his concern. And then Mr. Nunez, the Republican ranking member, claimed it was a deep state attack used by the Democrats to not just impeach the legal term, but impeach the the words of President Trump's, his actions, essentially just trying to you know, do some sort of character assassination before the election. President Trump has publicly criticized the whistleblower, and he discussed in several open forums uh, to some select personnel how spies used to be taken care of in the past, which you can interpret in any way you'd like, most likely along the lines of either one of the extremes, as you would imagine spies were taken care of. He also said individuals were close to spies that supported this whistleblower, and then Mr. Schiff was dumb as a rock. But also some good news for the Trump campaign. In the two days uh, since that report went out on Thursday, they raised over $13 million in campaign donations. And the biggest defense that they've had about what is contained in this whistleblower complaint was there was no quid pro quo. There was no uh, tick for tack between President Trump and the president of Ukraine. And what they're alleging there is in general contract formation under the law, you have your offer, you have an acceptance and consideration. And consideration is the bargain for exchange between two parties. And they're saying in this instance, there was no consideration. But what's important to remember is when you influence another government or when you use your powers and solicit the position of your office in an illegal manner, there doesn't have to be a consideration effort there does not have to be a quid pro quo. That's something that was made up that people keep saying on the news. All you have to do is say, you have to do this. I want you to do this. You don't have to provide any uh, detriment for yourself. You don't really have to provide any detriment for the other person. If you just say, I want you to do this, that could be potentially using your position for power or for other privileges. This also goes back to a problem with his lawyer, uh, Giuliani. This past May, multiple U.S. officials reportedly told uh, the whistleblower that Giuliani has been flouting national security protocols, uh, especially when it comes to State Department officials, including Mr. Volcker, and I had to actually talk to him to contain the damage of U.S. security interests. And why is this a problem? Because it appears that Rudy Giuliani might have actually set up some of these calls in the Ukraine and acting as a quasi-State Department, it now makes it apparent to some foreign countries that maybe instead of going through the State Department to get with President Trump, you should just go straight through his counsel as the middleman, which kind of get rid, gets rid of the idea of a State Department, you know, with Mr. Pompeo as a secretary. So that's what's actually coming up next, too. Now that the uh, talks for impeachment are underway and they're getting this investigation going, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has already been subpoenaed and has one week from uh, yesterday to produce documents while Congress goes on a two-week break. And the plan is to expedite this process as much as possible and to get answers. This now leads to the question raised by the Washington Post this past Saturday that we go back to the Mueller report as if this has just not gone away with this idea of a witch hunt or with credible reporting but whether the Mueller report was incomplete because a memorandum has now been rumored to exist like this between the administration and Russia that was potentially placed in the same secretive drive. And this is, this is an external complaint from the whistleblower, so this is completely separate that they're trying to drop. But everything that you see in the news is always bombshell this, bombshell that, bombshell the next American Idol. Anyway, 
that's a semi-brief rundown of everything that is going on. Um, we'll keep you updated as this is like tracking a giant hurricane coming up the coast, uh, very slow. But that being said, the next thing that we are going to talk about is Afghanistan. We talked that the elections were coming up, and in this past weekend, they've been ongoing. Uh, the Taliban vowed to take the fight to Afghanistan during the elections that have been uh, occurring now, uh, with some reports coming out. Even without violence, uh, the threat of violence had massive impacts on the election. They had to close almost 2,000 polling stations because there could not be adequate protection uh, for individuals going to the polls. Over 75,000 government forces were positioned around the country, with another like 50,000 in uh, Bagram and Kandahar being set up in their major cities. And the sad news is that there was a turnout of less than 25% of the eligible voters. And if that was true, it would be the lowest in Afghanistan's three previous elections. In order to bolster support for the elections last week, the U.S. halted negotiations with the Taliban through essentially a President Trump tweet. And then on the same day, the Taliban renewed those threats against the election events all around the country. Election officials said that 17,000 portable biometric devices were stationed around the country to add a level of verification to voters and prevent fraud, which has been the harshest charge levied against President Ashraf Ghani by his opposition leader, Dr. Abdullah, who's kind of like the CEO of Afghanistan is this two-part system they've set up. This kind of seems like a very familiar story that the claim Dr. Abdullah is making as President Ghani is using state funds and resources to win the election and to defraud voters. So more to follow with Afghanistan next week. We'll hopefully announce who the next president is, but it's probably going to be, you know, Ashraf Ghani again. Moving on in the Middle East to a neighbor, Syria had a chlorine attack. Uh, the government forces carried out this attack this last May, as we're learning, near the village of Cabana Unana. Sorry, Cabana. The attack came after President Bashar Assad's forces tried to tame a resistance effort in the Latakia province. Mr. Pompeo, who still has his job to do, and, and now this impeachment inquiry, said that the attacks will not go unchallenged. The last time the Syrian government used chemicals on its population, the administration authorized two strikes against Syrian military facilities. The use of chemical warfare, if you go all the way back to President Obama's terms, uh, was that red line. And that came after an attack in 2013 that killed 1,400 people. The attack this last May is suspected to have killed close to that number. And the U.S., in an, uh, in an effect to try to curb some of that, is trying to negotiate with Russia to urge Syria to destroy its chemical arsenal. Uh, but that's been to no avail, as clearly all those weapons were not destroyed from the last couple of years and rounds of this and from previous agreements. However, another response that we've used uh, is continuing funding for the organization of the prohibition of chemical weapons, which investigates chemical weapons use uh, by the United States. So I'm sure the strongly worded letter that that four and a half million dollars bought will really do the job. Uh, it's just another instrument of no accountability that we're using to pressure foreign governments because there's no resources outside of imposing sanctions to really get the news across. As we start transitioning from those specific regions in the world, uh, this last week in New York we had the UN General Assembly. I recommend listening to Unscripted. Uh, one of my friends at uh, school uh, runs that podcast and they spent the whole week like 12 hours a day listening and setting up interviews with all the leaders of the world that were here at the UN. 
most of the news that came out of the UN General Assembly was that President Trump's comments were more scripted and polished, especially with all of the ongoing news. And he spoke mostly about these authoritarian governments around the world and individuals that were just power hungry, kind of a nod towards the Iran and the China in the room. He also mentioned uh, legal border crossings, and I'll give you a quote here. Do not pay smugglers, do not pay coyotes, don't put yourself in danger, don't put your children in danger. If you make it here, you will not be allowed in, you will not be released into the country as long as I am president. We will enforce our laws. Those were the big talking points that came out. It's just kind of reaffirming a more nationalistic sense. And as we talk nationalism, uh, Brazil's President Bolsonaro had a very strong and aggressive opening uh, topic. He was stoking fears of socialism. He was attacking media and NGOs. And then he was also making appeals to a religious audience. He's obviously a big fan of Trump. Because uh, Trump had mentioned the future does not belong to globalists, it belongs to patriots and sovereign and independent nations who protect their citizens and honor uh, difference that makes each country unique and special. When we talk uh, about some of that authoritarianism that Trump was leaning against in his speech as the subject, Iran came back and said that it would not meet with Trump. We talked last week how nearly a third of their visas were denied. President Rouhani said Iran is completely fed up with the US and its policy of economic terrorism was increasing the global tension around uh, the Middle East. We also had a lot of talk this week about climate action. You've probably seen a lot of memes and then probably seen the original video maybe once, but it's produced a lot of uh, partisan responses, but Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old Swede, led a school walkout this last week on Friday. She took a zero-carbon sailboat from Sweden, and then she led a charge press talk highlight highlighting policymakers were essentially failing at their job because the business-as-usual efforts were ineffective at curbing actual climate change for a positive, given rising sea levels, increased storms, she is a member of a growing political movement across almost every single one of the Western worlds who want to see political uh, action done through policymaking of climate research and showing that, you know, the 7,000 plus scientists report that comes out that just highlighted how bad the oceans are getting is taken into account when we look at fossil fuel usage. But that's something that's really difficult because as we talk business as usual, a lot of nations that are currently developing, much like we were in the early 20th century and the late 19th century, have to use the resources that they have available. And as countries become more technologically innovative to use more safe and clean methods, countries still have to go back to what they have. And what they might have might be 100 years, you know, predating what we are doing now, but it's something they have to do as this nation develops. So we've got to figure out, are we going to lean against this uh, global climate change? Do we have to say, hey, we're going to stop it, or are we going to now focus on technology that will curb some of the effects of global warming in the next 50 to 100 years? But that's the big news that came out of the UN uh, General Assembly this past week. All right, and that kind of wraps up some of the more positive news, I guess you can say. Our fun little topic this week we're going to talk about is Instagram. 
Did you know that there are companies out there that exist to get other Instagram users likes and shares? I know what you're thinking. Are you serial? Guys, I'm super serial. Man, bear, pig is real. The Wall Street Journal just did a piece on this company called 421 Media, which staffs a whole platoon of people that make contact for over 100 Instagram users. Daily, their posts are seen by a combined 300 million people, which is way more than Queen Bay, if you can imagine, and Kim Kardashian combined. Uh, advertising is to blame on all this. Last quarter, it's estimated that $373 million was spent on influence to push products, and $265 million of that was just specifically on Instagram. It's getting so bad that in Anaheim, California this past summer, 75,000 people attended a convention in Anaheim to specifically learn how to make money on Instagram. And some have even sold their accounts for upwards of $120,000, which is against most of the Instagram rules about advertising and for-profit stuff. People are constantly violating uh, the usage terms and violating copyright protections. It's a total mess. So if you're on Instagram, uh, let's try to set a limit to how many times we check a day. I'm gonna go out there and say you should check twice because two times a day we release all of the workouts for Cronus Fit, which is two times. And then uh, I would say maybe check a third for some really cool uh, content that we might push for other veteran owned small businesses. One of those being Scroll Factory. I'm currently wearing the all black trucker cap with the World War II diamond on it. I think it's classy. It's classic. Go ahead and take a look. In sports this week, Pete Alonso hit his 53rd home run. He's a rookie, so he just set an MLB record for home runs in a rookie season. Congratulations to the Mets. You still don't make the playoffs. The Cubs finished the season in an awful fashion, failed to make the playoffs as the Brewers surged. I think the Cubs lost something like 9 or 10 out of 11 games. The Eagles beat the Packers because Aaron Rodgers sucks, and that's what Philly does. Baker Mayfield has had an interesting week. Uh, he responded to criticism on Twitter or IG, I don't know. Uh, because someone said his tweet about being an undersized quarterback that no one would like, that look at him, he's really making it, was Antonio Brown-esque. And then Baker responded that he wasn't an Antonio Brown because he doesn't freeze his feet off or throw his teammates under the bus. Antonio Brown obviously got mad. It's like one of those things. Uh, Baker also went after uh, Rex Ryan for criticizing him, saying he wasn't a good quarterback. Antonio Brown went after him and said he wasn't a good quarterback. I was really excited for the Brown season because he seemed to have a lot of swag, but right now the Browns are just trash, and they're going to play uh, Jackson's Ravens later today, so it's going to be a showdown between two quarterbacks that have completely different playing styles. But it'll probably be a very good game because one of them's gonna win. And then hopefully we can stop talking about Baker Mayfield and his antics, because so far he has not proven himself to be a winner in the pros. I also saw Dark Phoenix uh, this past weekend. It was as awful as everyone said. It's one of those movies that you watch it and I never considered the X-Men, these teenagers, to be full adults. So to see them going to parties where they're drinking and hooking up. It just does not fit this X-Men mold that they've established the past couple films where it's been very PC. So, no, oh, that is my phone going off, sorry. Uh, so it's very difficult to understand that like now they're 
semi-young adults. It, it just seemed like I was watching a very bad young adult movie come to life. They threw in the F-bomb a couple times, were once in there. I don't know. It was just a, it was a very poorly scripted movie put together. Great acting by a couple of the leading characters, but in general, just not worth it. So don't watch it. Uh, that's going to do it for this week for the Weekly Dispatch. Check out later for Brain Body Bobby. Uh, check back in for the Chronosfit leaderboard. Again, if you guys beat Bobby, and if you guys finish top five on the leaderboard, you are going to win some sweet gear. We've got socks that we're about to launch. We've got new stickers coming in, shirts. We're looking at some fanny pack options. You guys responded very well to what you're looking for uh, as far as some new merchandise, and we are going to action that. You guys have a good rest of your week. Check back in later. Again, twice a day on Instagram for your workout posts. Get on Kilomoto to keep track of yourself and compete with your peers. You guys have an awesome week ahead. Peace.